to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 344. I'm your host, Annika Harrison, and joining me for the show is my co-host, Pontus Bergmann. Hello! Hey, son! Hey, son! How are you, Annika? How's Luna, I should ask? <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. Luna has a bit of a cold, I so am. she's she's um she's okay, but it's it's never the the easiest experience. <laughs> no, no, of course. For her and, and for me and for everyone. For anyone, involved. I would say, for anyone. Yes, exhausting times. Yes. Yeah, you wouldn't <laughs> want to meet me when I'm having a cold. Oh. I get very cranky. I think that's the thing for everyone. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Uh, Andrash, by the way, is not here. Yeah. Did you know, did you know this? You probably have noticed because I sound a bit different than Anders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's of course traveling as usual, mm. very, very busy, probably on the other side of the globe. What can you do? But we are trying to uh, keep the show going here best as we can. We're here and we're happy to meet people, except for when they are cranky and have a cold. <laughs> <laughs> and you can actually do that now by looking up our schedule. In on our website, we have a Woo-hoo. live meeting schedule now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very good because now we're traveling so much that I can't keep track of it myself. So we had to put it on somewhere and we could just as well put <laughs> it on the website. So, Yeah, and it mentions ESC in Vienna, which already is, is over. But it also mentions QED in Manchester um, in the end of October. And it also mentions our Australian tour. So Ooh. that will be very exciting. Indeed. And, um, We also have our new photo up there that we took in Vienna. So <laughs> all the three of us together in person. Yes. And my first time as a, as an as an ESP host too. So yeah, that's right. We have <laughs> been photographed with you before, but that was before you were on. That the was show. me as the fangirl. Yes, you were the fangirl. <laughs> yes, right. Speaking of QED, mm-hmm. apparently we were not supposed to talk about it. Uh, we did mention it a couple of episodes ago, but <laughs> I think we can mention it now. But Shh. As of today, <laughs> if you listen to this show as of the day it's getting released on the Friday, it will be <laughs> published, I hear, from our friend Brian Ego, the schedule for Skepticamp at QED. So that this is on the Friday before the actual QED. It's on the 28th of October. This is a free event, so you don't even have, a, have to have a ticket for, for QED to attend. So if you happen to be in Manchester, you don't have a QED ticket, just come along anyway, because it's open for everybody. And both Andras and myself are going to, to deliver one of these flash talks, which is just 10 minutes, maybe a few questions, and then you get to the next speaker on and on during the day. I will be talking about the quote-unquote Swedish experiment, a COVID strategy unlike any other. So that's uh, I'm looking Ooh. forward to <laughs> to writing that speech. I don't, I don't know. There's a quite a few things that the international media and the, the international community got wrong, uh, frankly, about it, even though it was special and different. And uh, Andras is going to talk about how Star Trek can show us the way to survive the future. So very interesting link between skepticism, science and science fiction. So looking forward to hearing that. Sweden and Star Trek. I'm impressed. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I think Sweden is more down to earth than Star Trek, but hopefully it'll be enjoyable for everyone. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> but it'll be good to meet uh, our f- listeners and our friends there at QED as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and something that a listener of ours sent in is actually about the topic of being down to earth or not being down to earth. <laughs> he gave us feedback about air qualities and air circulation in airlines that I talked about last week in the Really Wrong Award. And I'll just quote his email directly because Matt did an amazing job of explaining it. Mm -hmm. So I'll just quote it completely. (laughs) Here you go. Quote. Airliners do recycle some cabin air, but it's a widespread partial myth that passengers sit breathing their neighbor's germs inside a sealed box for hours at a time. And the truth is much more comforting. Yes, <laughs> that, wasn't Very the, good. that wasn't the quote. <laughs> Whilst air is recirculated through HEPA filters that are surprisingly good at extracting the exhaled droplets that carry COVID, airliners use their speed through the air to constantly draw in fresh air through a scoop, which pressurizes it enough to go into the cabin and also constantly vents out stale air. That's probably chemtrails. <laughs> Joking. <laughs> that was also me and not the quote. A mix of fresh and filtered air comes into the cabin at ceiling height at quite a fast rate and is drawn out f- at floor level through the grills below the window seats to go off to the filters or outflow vent. So virus-carrying droplets you create are dragged down and towards filtration or jettison far more than to those around you. The rate of clean air brought into most airliners is enough for a full cabin air change every two to three minutes, which is far faster than just about any other indoor space. Two to three minutes. That's really impressive. That's really good. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) That applies when the plane is flying and can use its speed to draw in fresh air. During that time before takeoff and after landing, including delays that can have you stuck in the cabin on the ground for hours, the fresh air change rate is massively less and the filters don't magically get any bigger. So the rate that virus-carrying droplets are removed from around you is substantially reduced. Still not quite a sealed COVID box, but as there are still filters, but not very nice. And then he says... It was a really well-deserved, really wrong. I just heard the common myth and wanted to share the more nuanced truth. And yes, thank you, Matt. That was a really amazing job of, of sharing that truth with us. He says, I've not flown since before COVID, but will be wearing my mask throughout any flights I take for the foreseeable future. When sitting cheek by jowl to others and any coughs and sneezes I make will still project droplets at face height to those around me faster than the cabin ventilation draws them out of the space. So it is much better to have a mask to capture them at the first moment. Yes. So thank you, Matt, that you are so right in everything you basically said. I'm really happy to know that now because it makes me feel a lot better of flying to Australia and to Manchester with my toddler. Mm -hmm. Um, who can't wear a mask yet so um, yes that makes me very happy and thank you because yeah there you can see that also skeptics fall into myths so another Mm. good example and I'm really happy when our listeners send us messages like that so yeah keep up the good work he says and um, I want to say yeah Matt keep up the good work too (laughs) (laughs) yeah I've never heard it explained that clearly before I think it was uh, I didn't know exactly how it worked so this is very good to know mm-hmm. how, how they recycle air inside and filtrate it as well inside an airplane. Hmm? Yeah, it, it explains it so well that I've got it in my, like an image in my mind for that now. So yeah. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> Great. Okay, I think now we should just jump into the show, right Pontus? That's a good idea. 
as we don't have an Andros here, we also don't have a Twish. No, no this week in skeptical history this week. Andros is out making new history, I hope. So we'll get back to that next week. (laughs) We shall. We shall reconvene. (laughs) That means I need to find out, Pontus, is there something to poke the Pope for? Oh my God, do I have an action-filled story for you today. (laughs) (laughs) There is a newly appointed, uh, or fairly newly appointed cardinal, a Polish guy called Konrad Krajewski. Please send us our better (laughs) pronunciations if you know them. But Konrad Krajewski is the best I can do. He is also, as part from being a cardinal, he is the papal almoner. I'll get back to what that is. And he's the head of the Vatican Dicastery for the Service of Charity. So an almoner, what is that? That is a guy who hands out alms to the poor. So if you are in need... You can get alms from generous people, and uh, an almoner is the guy who hands them out. It was a new, <laughs> new word for me, totally. I didn't know that that could be a job title, but apparently it is. So, Frankie appointed Krajewski to this job as the papal almoner in 2013, and then he made him a cardinal in 2018. He is not one of the older cardinals. In fact, he's just one year older than me. So, there you go. Pretty old. So very young. Yes, very (laughs) Very young. young. Okay. Anyway, the service of charity that he is now the head of, they receive thousands of requests for help every year by poor or needy. Sometimes there is a special note as well from Frankie accompanying the requests, and sometimes there is not. Now, the reason I bring this guy up is that he apparently is a real hands-on tough guy, at least for being a cardinal. Earlier this week... And he may actually still be there as you hear this. Krajewski was on his fourth mission to Ukraine to hand out support and help locally. And he does so very much himself. He is uh, riding with a small military escort from house to house, knocking on doors, offering help to to the local people. And this is not uh, risk-free. On this last trip, he was traveling from Kiev uh, by van, going all the way down to Odessa, which is all at the shore of the Black Sea, very close to the Mm -hmm. action, if you will. This Saturday, while uh, distributing food to the Ukrainian people, Krajewski, along with the local bishops of Saporiznia, Saporiznia, I I can't do better than that. Anyway, he was there together with these local bishops, and they came under fire by Russian forces, and they had to run for shelter. When the attack was over... They just continued the trip, and uh, they are, as we record this, heading for Isium, which is where the latest reports of, of mass graves comes from. You, you probably have heard it if you read the news. And this place is just uh, 200 kilometers from the Russian border. So this is deep into the east of Ukraine. So, And there's a pretty cool picture of him as well in a bulletproof vest in front of the van before they set off on this trip. And uh, not that he seems all braggy about it, but he doesn't seem to be uh, scared of getting in harm's way. He's just doing his job. And this is not the first time Krajewski has demonstrated that he has some balls, if you may say so about a cardinal. In 2019, Krajewski climbed down a manhole cover in a street in Rome to break a seal and switch back on 
the electricity supply to a building where 450 people were squatting. Electricity had been cut off by the authorities to drive them out, and these people included homeless people, migrants, and about 100 children. So at the time, they had been without electricity for five days. Matteo Salvini, who was the deputy prime minister of Italy at the time, criticized him for for doing this on Twitter. But um, Krajewski responded by telling the Italian newspaper Corriera della Sera that, quote, from now on, I will pay the bills. Indeed, I will even pay his, meaning Salvini's bills. So there was a risk for him getting charged with with a crime here because he but he, he thought it was more important to make life a little bit better for these poor homeless migrants who had fled into this building. Then in 2020 he was in the news again when he sent charity money to a group of transgender sex workers who had been left out of a job due to the COVID-19 pandemic. When this was celebrated in the news for being a good thing, he just said that he defined it as being within the normal charitable works of the Catholic Church. That's that's what we do, basically, is what he said. So this is a very refreshing cardinal, not the stuffy person you may imagine when you hear the word cardinal. And I wonder if I will not put him on my list of favorites to be the next pope in the future. So how about this James Bond figure as a Pope, bulletproof vest and all, (laughs) running in behind enemy lines to deliver help? (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) One of Frankie's appointments, I should say, as well. (laughs) So thank you, Pontus, for poking the Pope this time and the Cardinals, of course. Yeah. So I think that means we're going to the news. Yeah, and I want to talk about Mighty Nien Kim that we mentioned before several times. Yes, we have. Yes. She's a very prolific science communicator from Germany. And a few days ago, on on Sunday to be exact, her new season of her show came out. And they actually created a fake drink called homeopath tea (laughs) that sounds (laughs) pretty much like water yes exactly it is pretty much water they say homeopath tea is the refreshing drink for your soul it has hibiscus you will get very happy and refreshed by it you can shake it till you make it and they also say doesn't work beyond placebo effect contains sugar (laughs) (laughs) and dance the pain away taste the freedom So, and if you go into the website that we, of course, put into the show notes, it looks like an amazing trendy drink. <laughs> Do they sell this? Or is it just, just no, a sca- they don't. It's just, it's, a it's just a joke. joke. It's just yeah. a joke. Right? <laughs> we don't have that, but you can get a newsletter um, about homeopathy. <laughs> M- makes me think of one year at the QED when they had this introduction video. There was a lot of scams into one very short video, for fun only, of course. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there was one about having your morning tea by dipping the tea bag into your bathtub. So that was homeopathy. <laughs> tea. Yeah, that's probably like pretty close. I think the pun, of course, presents itself happily because of the ending of homeopathy. All right. So we were already in the UK for uh, QED. So let's talk about the new king. 
Yes. <laughs> yes, King Charles not having had time to warm up the seat of the throne yet. Well, literally, because what I'm going to talk about was in a speech he gave, a rather interview he gave, the last one he did as prince, because this was the day before the queen died. So it's important to look at what he had to say, because... This could be the last time he speaks up about these things because he has said that once he becomes king, he will not speak out in opinion matters anymore. So, well, we, we could hope. We could hope. <laughs> so what did he say then? Well, we always have known that Charles have had a thing for homeopathy and also for organic farming. He has for decades had his own brand of agricultural products. It's called Dutchy. And he has always made a big deal out of how it's all natural and environmentally friendly. Now, I think his heart is really, I think, in the right place. But he is, uh, I, I, I would say, misguided. First of all, homeopathy doesn't work, as we all know that. That's not news to the listeners. Organic farming, yes, it sounds good. But deep down, it's, it is a marketing scam. It is true that organic farming often uses less pesticides per square meter that is true but since it's less effective you need more farmland to produce the same amount of crops so the environmental impact is worse with organic farming believe it or not it is hard to convince people that that's the case but it is true if you count the amount of agricultural products produced so charles said on the 7th of september as i said the day before elizabeth died that he was told that he was a complete idiot because he supported organic farming way back when. But now he feels vindicated because he has been proven right. He, before everybody else, warned everyone about the dangers of overuse of antibiotics. And now he has, as I said, been proven right because he has long ago replaced antibiotics with homeopathy. Uh, so you become <laughs> right. There's actually a logical fallacy here that he's stepping right into. I don't know if I can spring this on you like this, Annika, but you know which logical fallacy I'm thinking of. You say antibiotics is bad, so homeopathy is much better. I wouldn't know the exact name, but the fallacy is that he's like comparing apples and bananas there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Chocolate is bad, therefore I like airplanes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it's a for, the formal name is false dilemma or false dichotomy. You say, because this is bad, the other thing must be better. Not acknowledging that there could be many other solutions that is even better. Your choice isn't antibiotics or homeopathy. Yes. <laughs> right. So we all know overuse of antibiotics is something very bad. You should avoid that. And that's not something that he came up with himself. But the answer is not to go from something that is bad to something that doesn't work. That, that's not the solution. So I think it's interesting to see if Charles will now step down from these kinds of comments in the future because he is the king. I somehow doubt it. In any case, Edzard Ernst has a few comments about the new king as well. And of course, mm -hmm. why, why, why shouldn't he? He has written a book about uh, the alternative prince, which I guess now have to be renamed the alternative king. Edzard points out that Charles probably comes from the right place. Just like I said, I think he means well. His heart is in the right place. But he's just listening to the wrong people. 
So I, I will, instead of rehashing what Edsod has to say about this, we will link to a blog post that Edsod posted a couple of weeks ago about Charles, prince or king, and uh, what is wrong with the things that Charles has been touting for all these years. Yeah. Yeah, Pontus, did you know that there are UFOs above Kiev? Really? <laughs> I, I know that there might be uh, Russian things over Kiev sometimes, uh, hopefully not too often, but they, yeah. are, they, are they from outer space? Actually, a good question. Very likely not. Um, but astronomers from Kiev have been monitoring the sky above the city with uh, special cameras and special equipment. And they indeed have observed UFOs, unknown flying objects. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they can't really explain their sightings. What we think of when we hear UFO is, well, flying saucers, green, little green man, of course, like pseudoscience, yeah. aliens. The X-Files and so on. <laughs> but UFO actually only describes unidentified flying object or unknown flying object. And the Pentagon in the US actually trying to change the name now into unidentified aerial phenomena. But coming back to the UFOs in Kiev, the astronomers were inspired by this whole talk about UFOs and have monitored the sky around Kiev and found several unidentified objects. In the article that I've read, they actually say we could, exactly what I thought. And that is, there's a war going on in Ukraine. Of course, there are missiles and drones flying through the air. Of yes, course. that could be one explanation. <laughs> mm. But the scientists also said we observed a significant number of objects whose origin is not clear. So, yeah, I think we might want to keep up with that and to find out if something comes out of that. And I don't mean a little green man. <laughs> I mean an explanation what it is, because it's very, very, very likely not little green man. <laughs> that, that is probably the last uh, thing we should expect it to be. But the, the thing is, we don't know. And uh, we've said it before, part of being a skeptic, say, okay, we don't know. And since we don't know, we by definition do not know that it's little green man. All right, so... New subject altogether. Pontus pokes the politicians. How Ooh, about that? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I know. A lot of skeptics say that we should keep clear of politics because it's not science. Yet, I cannot stay away from what is now likely the future of Swedish politics. Now that the right wing have uh, won the election, is probably going to form the, the new government. So, my problem is not in the party politics. It is that it's clear that policies suggested by them will not have the effects that these politicians say that they want. So I'm talking about the fight against crimes in Sweden. So this issue is a real one. We need to address it. But populism and xenophobia are getting in the way and will, in my opinion, make the situation worse, not better, if they get what they want. So these are the suggested actions, but not, of course, yet implemented because the government isn't formally in place yet. So the first thing that they want to um, implement is anonymous witnesses. I'm against this because I think it's a basic right to know who is accusing you of what in a trial. But let's leave that part alone because it's not really a skeptical scientific question. So we let that slide. The next one is harder punishment for members of criminal gangs. 
Okay, so there's been a lot of talk about criminal gangs in Sweden, and uh, maybe this will help. But how do you really implement that? Mm -hmm. Who is part of a criminal gang? What is a criminal gang? A member of a criminal gang doesn't usually carry membership cards in their pockets, so, so it's a little bit random who you assign to that. And what we also know from science, getting back to science and skeptical thinking, is that harder punishments do not deter from future crimes because people who want to do something bad, they don't do it if they think they're going to get caught. So uh, the punishment doesn't matter if you think you can get away with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The next thing that they are um, advocating is limited community service for children as young as nine-year-olds. Nine-year-olds. Wow. Cleaning toilets and scraping chewing gum off the streets have been mentioned. Again, maybe there's not a skeptical angle here, but are you kidding me? You're going to submit nine-year-olds to forced labor? Nine-year-olds that are criminal need therapy and nothing else. Yeah, that's crazy to me. And I don't think it'll do any good. All right, the final thing, the one that I am most agitated about is the suggestion to create certain visitation zones, quote-unquote. This would be certain areas of certain cities where the police can carry out random searches without specifying the cause, without a specific suspicion of a crime. Well, first of all, the police has not requested this. They say that if they have a probable cause, that's enough for them to intervene. But here comes what I think is a clear example of something that will make things worse. If certain areas with poorer and, uh, let's be clear, often migrants as, as residents, if they are harassed randomly by the police, that creates a greater mistrust and a harder segregation within society. And what we need is integration, not alienating certain groups of people. If you grow up poor, you're harassed by the police, you're mistrusting them, then of course you will join a, a criminal gang because you have nowhere else to go. So I think, unfortunately, these policies that are suggested that may happen, probably will happen to some extent now, they will have the totally opposite effect. And people and politicians will then double down and say, we were not hard enough. And this, in turn, risks getting into an evil spiral that will go way out of control. So you may call me a left if you want to. But what I think we need is more social security, better mm -hmm. education, special help directed to the areas where people of lower education and less social stability lives, and people who have fewer opportunities. If you do that, people can get help to avoid getting into criminality in the first place. This is not actually an opinion of mine. This is rational and logical. So uh, that's why I feel I can bring it up, or even on a skeptical podcast that should avoid politics to some extent. But, but, <laughs> but you know, if I'm proven, uh, prove me wrong. Give me an example of where you marginalize people, segregate people, and that has improved anything. Then I will change my mind. So, end of political rant. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a it's a good rent. Uh, it was a well-deserved rent. <laughs> <laughs> There's one thing where I could say segregation is good, and that is if, if people are infectious <laughs> in a pandemic. <laughs> and that is, that's it, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. But, but that doesn't fly politically either, because, you know, we've all heard about not wanting to wear masks, etc. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. 
But from one thing that's well-deserved, I think we can go to something that's usually also well-deserved. <laughs> hmm. And usually it's done by me, but this week it's different. <laughs> so let's find out who has been really right or really wrong. All right. Thank you for letting me get back to what used to be my segment. I have yes. something for you today. <laughs> Uh, it's about someone, something that we have talked about before, the WHO, the World mm. Health Organization. Mm -hmm. As we know, it's an organization that we have uh, mixed feelings about sometimes. On the one hand, they do a lot of good in the world. And on the other hand, they have a habit of flirting with alternative medicine, especially with uh, TCM, traditional Chinese medicine. We, we talked about that a year or two ago, something mm -hmm. like that. Now I feel they have stepped into another minefield and it sounds to me that they have gotten this wrong again. It's actually from April this year. I don't think, for some reason, I don't think we talked about it. It didn't make the news, but now it has made the news. I think uh, even if we did mention it, which I can't recall, it's probably worth mentioning again. In April, the WHO published a systematic review and meta-analysis about artificial sweeteners. For those who are unaware, a meta-study is when you compile and summarize other studies. So this can be a very good thing. Uh, we often say that you cannot rely on one individual specific study because one study can be misleading. It could be wrong for some reason by chance or because it wasn't done correctly. So it's good to take a look at all the studies in a specific field to see what they agree upon. But in this case, I think this meta-study is likely to be misleading. This study can be downloaded for free. Uh, it's on WHO's website. And it looked at 283 studies, which is quite a lot, to see if there's any adverse effects of artificial sweetness. And it's actually an update of a previous meta-study mm -hmm. from 2019. This meta-study actually came to the conclusion that... Contrary to what you would think, there is a small risk of increased body weight in the longer term if you use artificial sweetness. It was weak. It wasn't a very big statistical signal, but there was some of that. There was also a slightly increased risk of cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, and increased mortality. There was also limited evidence found for increased risk of preterm birth. So this doesn't sound good, right? So artificial sweetness are no good, right? But I don't think that is what's happening here. I think what they're doing is they're drawing conclusions from studying people who very probably already have a weight issue. And therefore, they have switched over to artificial sweetness. So they avoid sugar and use artificial sweetness instead because they feel that they need to keep their body weight down. That doesn't mean that the artificial sweetener is the reason that they are overweight. And because they are overweight, they have this increased body weight. They have this increased risk of cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes and increased risk of preterm birth. They are confusing cause and effect here. Still, this meta-study has led the WHO to create new recommendations. They are still draft, but they, 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 it looks like they're going to make them permanent. And in these draft recommendations, I read, quote, 
WHO suggests that NSS, this is what they call artificial sweeteners, should not be used as means of achieving weight control or reducing risk of non-communicable diseases, end quote. The thing is that there is a small signal between artificial sweeteners and overweight, obesity, and some diseases that is associated with that. But I don't think you can draw the conclusion that it's the artificial sweetness that causes this. It's just that people who have a problem, they turn more to artificial sweetness than others, and that's what you're reading in the signals. You have to do a lot more research before you come to this recommendation. Yeah, especially because obesity and being overweight is a very complex thing. It, there's a lot of things there contributing to that. There will never be one thing where you're like, no. oh, it's the sweetness. It's no. the sweetness. <laughs> that, that's right. So if you believe the WHO, the logical conclusion would be to choose a regular can of Coke instead of a Coke Zero. Because Coke Zero and artificial sweetness are associated with some kinds of problems. But I don't think you help anything by, by using the regular Coke instead. Yeah, just drink water. <laughs> yeah, that, that is your, the best thing. This has been your health advice from the podcast you shouldn't listen to regarding health advice. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Okay. Please respect that I have very limited expertise in the area. <laughs> I'm just trying to follow the logic here. Yes, I think what they're doing <laughs> is they are comparing artificial sweetness with nothing at all instead of comparing artificial sweetness with sugar yes and i still think it's worse to sweeten your things with sugar than artificial sweetness they also say is slightly increased limited evidence it's all around the, the conclusions here so I think they're barking up the wrong tree. Yeah, and it's probably also a question of dosage and of individual people. <laughs> so especially as the WHO, they should be a bit more careful, maybe. <laughs> right. And also, since there are so many myths about artificial sweetness, about aspartame and, and things that mm -hmm. people have been saying since the 70s that, yes. oh, it's artificial, it's not good for you, blah, blah, blah. There's no evidence for that. Uh, except for this very slightly increased risk, which I think is a confusion about cause and effect here. Mm -hmm. So, exactly. um, But the people who are skeptical about the safety of these artificial sweeteners, they will point to this report and say, ha, huh? we said, told, told you, so. you, told mm -hmm. you so, drink the regular Coke instead. <laughs> That's better. It is not better. I don't think it is. So long story short, I think again, WHO has deserved the award for being really wrong. Well deserved, yes. And that has been all. So thank you, Pontus, for joining me this week. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Please keep doing so. But I don't want to let anyone go without a quote. The quote this week comes from a controversial person... The European part in his personality is very problematic. The US American part is um, inspiring, still controversial. <laughs> I'm talking about Werner von Braun, Ooh. a German slash US American aerospace engineer who was a Nazi, was then moved over to the US <laughs> and was later then called the father of space travel. Yeah. So very controversial figure. 
he was born 1912 and died 1977. And I'll just say the quote now, but I do want to make sure that people know that he was a Nazi. He is a problematic person. So he's, he's not the inspiring kind, but I still like the quote. And the quote is, research is what I'm doing when I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. That's very good, because that captures part of the the thing of doing research is doing new things, things that you don't know how it will end. And sometimes you've, you come across something that leads to something very good. And hopefully that is space travel and not uh, being a Nazi. Exactly. Please choose <laughs> space travel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Always choose space travel. Always. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you again, Pontus. Thank you. And until next week, goodbye. Hello. Tschüss. Wieslat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. And there's a Luna coming in. Here's Hi. the news. The Hi, Luna, Luna news. Hey! Luna, guck mal, wer ist das? Potter. Genau. Yes, Potters, hi. Hey. Oh, you got a smile. Yeah, I did. No, no. No, so you Oh, <laughs> poor little thing. Cultural products, agriculture. That's a hard word. Agricult <laughs> agricultural product. <laughs> Astroman. <laughs> Astronomers. Ast <laughs> Astroman. <laughs> <laughs> Scientists! <laughs> no. Yes, that is right. I am still here. That's the point of skin now. Hello. 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 Hello, Luna. <laughs> Riveting conversation. <laughs> <laughs>